Hey, Trey Kay here, and this is Us and Them from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. It's the podcast where we tell stories from America's cultural divides. Our last program was called The Talk. Our sex ed program has been the most popular one to date, and it sparked a lot of conversation on our Facebook page. I was really struck by a note I got from a friend of mine who is a doctor, and she's a conservative person and a Christian. She wrote, we as a society greatly underestimate the power of sex outside of marriage. She said, realism often hits in the privacy of your doctor's office. Doctors deal a lot with patients' sex lives. But here's a guy who says doctors are not often really equipped to do this. I'm uh, Dr. Michael Ross, and I'm Professor of Sexual Health Education in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Minnesota. You might detect an accent here. Dr. Ross is originally from New Zealand, and he studied in England and Australia and Sweden. And for about 20 years, he's been in the U.S. teaching at the University of Texas. Just recently, he was named the Joycelyn Elders Chair of the University of Minnesota's Program for Human Sexuality. This is the first position of its kind in this country. The idea is to improve sexual health training for doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. Dr. Ross says only half of medical schools in the United States have courses in sexual health education for physicians. And he thinks that's a disturbing figure. So his department is looking to remedy something he believes the nation is falling short on. He hopes his program might spark a transformation in sexual health for our nation. But right away, Dr. Ross wants me to understand something. We don't call it sex education because that implies it's simply about sex. Uh, sexual health education is, is much broader. It's about issues including relationships, uh, including sexual dysfunctions, including cultural issues and sexuality, all the threads that make up the fabric of uh, sexual health and not just about the, uh, as sex education implies, not just about the sexual behavior itself. Well, you've spent some time in America. How do you think that we're doing with regard to providing sex education or sexual health education to our younger generations? I, I think the issue with the United States is that it's variable. There are some states uh, which are doing very well, and there are some in the in the South uh, where the issue is just uh, just uh, too controversial to handle. So nothing is being done. Do you think that this usually breaks down along lines of kind of religion and morality, and basically how people feel about those subjects, and that 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 sex is a taboo, and so we are just not going to deal with it or talk about it? Uh, yes, it does tend to break down along those lines. And where, where people, particularly legislators and uh, lobbyists, are uncomfortable about the subject, then they ensure that nobody else can talk about it either. There's this uh, myth that uh, if we educate people, they're going to go out and do it. Uh, and the total opposite is correct, that when you educate people, they don't need to go out and find out what it's like. And, and you had the statistics to back that up. Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's absolutely clear that, uh, that decent sexual health education 
will lower teen pregnancy rates. That's why countries like Sweden, uh, Norway, the Netherlands, uh, Denmark have such low teen pregnancy rates and why the United States is among educated countries, uh, one of the highest in the world for teen pregnancy and STDs. I read a statistic that for adolescent males, the average age for which they saw pornography on the internet was 11. What do you think of that? I mean, this is the way that some young people are learning about sex. What do you think of that? Well, I think those data actually came from a study that a colleague and I did. And the fact is, we don't have the option of sexual health education or no sexual health education. We have the option of responsible education or for people to learn it by looking at pornography on the internet. And uh, for those who have seen uh, pornography on the internet, they'll know it's it's unrealistic. It usually doesn't contain uh, much evidence of any relationship. And there are certainly not typical issues of sexual health like uh, STDs or HIV or uh, relationships or sexual dysfunction or contraception or condom use uh, shown on pornography on the internet. So we're, we're teaching grossly dysfunctional and unrealistic uh, sexual health via pornography as the default, or we're teaching it in a more responsible manner, and those are the two options. Well, actually, there's probably a third option. The option is, is just to leave them to go and find out for themselves, and that's the sort of option that leads to high teen pregnancy and STD rates. In our previous program, NYU history professor Jonathan Zimmerman talked about different models for teaching about sex in schools. There's a Swedish model, which has the goal of helping young people have a fulfilling sex life. And there is another model, one that's embraced by many schools in the U.S. It's based on the idea that sex education needs to be a bulwark against the dangerous byproducts of sexual relations. According to this mindset, the point of sex ed is not to increase pleasure. It's to stop people from having sex, or or at least to stop them from causing unwanted pregnancies and passing diseases around. I've wondered if Dr. Ross favored one approach over the other. We have to deal with both. Rights and responsibilities are, are the opposite sides of the same coin. We really can't talk about one without talking about the other. I think it's a matter of education about relationships, uh, about responsibilities, about risks, and about pleasure. Um, that's the, the total. Uh, and we tend to uh, ignore the issue of pleasure and relationships. Absolutely no genital contact of any kind. I told Dr. Ross about a speaker who came to my alma mater a few years ago. She tried to terrify the kids from George Washington High School with dire statistics about STDs. If you have ever stepped over this line, uterus disease, and you need to get tested, and don't you dare, don't you dare tell anyone you're a virgin. I wondered what Dr. Ross thought about these scared straight sex ed tactics. I think any educator will, uh, who's looked at the evidence will tell you that fear has a half-life of about three hours and uh, trying to scare people just doesn't work. So it's very clear from uh, education theory generally in health education, just not, uh, not only sexual health, that fear messages simply don't work. 
I was struck by an article that I read about you, which basically said that we also should extend our sex education to people who are older than children. That, that in a way, I think you said that adults are simply large adolescents. Knowledge about uh, sexual health doesn't just, you know, come down from the sky uh, once you get to 21 or, or some other age. And so we, if we have uh, uneducated adolescents, then they become uneducated parents uh, and uneducated adults. The other point to recall is that people's uh, sexual behaviors and attitudes and sexual scripts are largely formed in adolescence. Uh, and they tend to gel at that point and, and uh, people tend to follow them for most of the rest of their lives. And if we're educating people into poor scripts in adolescence, then they simply become poor scripts as uh, sexual scripts as adults. What other ways should we be addressing sexual health? Well, you can't have education unless you have well-educated school counselors, healthcare workers, physicians, nurses, physician assistants. There are some big issues there. Probably only half the medical schools in the United States have a, an adequate uh, sexual health education curriculum. Uh, I think for nursing schools, it's even lower. And unless we educate the educators, we're not going to get very far. You have said in an article that I read that many healthcare professionals are uneasy about talking about sex with their patients, be it intimacy issues, sex abuse, STD prevention, and differences in the desire of, of sexual partners over time. Is there something that you might be doing at uh, the University of Minnesota that is, is hoping to kind of change that interaction uh, between patients and, and uh, medical uh, health professionals? Uh, yes. For the medical school, we have an excellent sexual health program. It's been going on for nearly 20 years, and students get uh, uh, 19 hours of education in this. So they're uh, equipped to deal with this. Uh, or refer on if necessary. But where you have medical schools in other parts of the United States, where there is simply nothing, where students might be educated about contraception and uh, STDs in a couple of brief lectures, you have the very people who the public want to go to being completely unable to answer the questions of their patients and feeling uncomfortable about it. So we can't really blame uh, the population for not knowing about issues when our uh, health educators at high schools, when our physicians, our nurses, our physician assistants um, aren't equipped to answer their questions. And what, what we're planning to do is uh, expand courses, provide uh, certificate courses on the internet, maybe even graduate courses so that those health professionals who haven't been adequately educated um, can update their education. So when I go in to see my doctor, I mean, usually he asks me, you know, what's going on with your diet? How much sleep are you getting? Are you, are you still exercising regularly? You know, are you smoking? Are you drinking, etc.? Do you envision a future when my doctor might ask me, are you having a satisfying sex life? Uh, yes, and uh, students, at least from the uh, uh, University of Minnesota medical schools, um, are educated just to add these issues, maybe not so 
directly, but asking questions about relationships and, uh, and sexual functioning, just as part of a basic uh, initial history. And let's face it, most of our patients uh, tell us, if we ask them, that uh, their sexual health is an important issue. And so I think they actually expect us to ask them about it. Fostering the discussion about healthy sex. Yeah, and the training is not difficult. Uh, A health professional needs to ask uh, of their patients or their clients, uh, are you sexually active? And then follow it up by saying, well, uh, do you have any uh, questions or issues that you'd like to talk to me about sexual health issues? Uh, so it's just a matter of opening the door, and if the patient uh, opens that door, then being able to provide useful health information, as we would in any other area of health. So, as a part of your regular checkup, sometime between the checking of the blood pressure and the palpation of the lymph nodes, your doc asks, how's your sex life going? Are you happy? Are you fulfilled by it? Do you believe, like Dr. Ross does, that such a question is just another diagnostic to help the physician understand your complete health? Or do you think the doctor should just mind her own business? And do you think the answer has anything to do with where a person stands on America's cultural divides? Let us know on Facebook or drop me an email. been listening to us and them our show was written and produced by me and laurie stern Catherine winter edited this program and it was mixed by laurie stern and chris julen michael lipton and tristam lozow wrote and performed our show music and for this show we are welcoming our first intern thanks to sophia tedesco for helping us whip this show together Us and Them is made possible by the wonderful people at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, a grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council, and the support of the CRC Foundation. Hey, and thanks to the folks who've liked our Facebook page, or who've tweeted about our show at Us Them Podcast, or me at Trey underscore K on Twitter. Please keep those ratings and reviews coming on iTunes. We think the kind reviews listeners like you are posting are helping us get attention on iTunes. We're also looking for your help on an upcoming program. We're trying to figure out whether our show can speak to both liberals and conservatives. Can we make a show that appeals to people across the political spectrum? Or are Americans too divided to listen to the same podcast? We'd love to get your thoughts. Here's what my friend Darren Stevens thinks. I do believe I have diverse opinions, but doggone it, Trey, I just can't seem to stretch my opinions enough to be willing to even discuss the complete fabrications and coke-fueled utter bullshit from the other side. Uh, you know, or maybe maybe I should just agree that privatizing Social Security is a good idea after all. You know, there's just there's so many fabrications and lies from the other side. They're allowed to do that, and our side is not. And uh, I just can't hold these up as equal. 
Us and Them wants to be a place where we listen to each other, to discover the humanity of each other. So even if we don't agree, we at least understand each other better. Is this just a pipe dream? What do you think? Let us know on Facebook or send me an email at tk at wvpublic.org. That's t-k-a-y at w-v-p-u-b-l-i-c-k dot o-r-g. See you next time on Us and Them. Thank you.